I want to go straight to the Word of God tonight, and I want to take this topic 2.0 of the mystery of Christianity. And so we're going to get into it right now. Everybody say in Jesus' name. I hope you've shared this. I hope you've gotten this out. I hope that you've gotten this word to people because tonight we're going to help people who have been damaged and hurt and they've got a lot of questions and we're going to try to answer those questions tonight on the second part of the mystery of Christianity. There are 22 verses in the Bible that use the word mystery, 22. Uh, that's pretty neat because I don't think we realize the, the power or the, the big topic that the word mystery brings to the Word of God. I think maybe we scan over that word, but it literally 22 times it's found in the King James Version, mystery. The difference, though, between mystery and confusion is the motive behind it. Because both in mystery and, and confusion, there's a moment where you don't understand. And so when you're confused, you don't understand. And whenever you're in a mystery, you don't understand. But the difference between mystery and between mystery and confusion is that mysteries by nature suggest that they can be solved. That's why it's a mystery. A mystery is, is somebody walking around with a magnifying glass and a cool hat trying to figure out what went wrong on the crime scene because we believe that with enough searching, with enough evidence, we know that the mystery can be solved. So that's why the Bible does not say that the mystery, it confusion of Christ, but it says the mysteries because mysteries can be figured out. Mysteries require you to work. Mysteries require you to search and to research. And so that's why the Bible says it's a mystery. I hope that you have a passion for God because you will not solve the mystery without a passion for God. Confusion by nature suggests that this can't be figured out. Confusion by nature is a sad word because when someone's confused, they don't know what to do or where to go. Mystery is meant to make you search. Confusion is meant to make you give up. See, a mystery challenges me. If you tell me there's a mystery of where the chocolate bar is sitting in my house, I will do all in my, actually, Nutty Buddy Bar. I will do everything in my power to find that Nutty Buddy Bar. You want to you help me get passionate about the mystery? Put something out there that's hidden that I want to find. Because that's what mystery says to me and probably says to you. Confusion by nature suggests that it cannot be figured out. Confusion suggests you're just at, at a loss. There's no hope for you. Mystery is meant to make you search, confusion is meant to make you stop, and confusion fills people with hopelessness. The more you dig, the worse it gets, but the mystery fills you with hope because the more you dig, the more you see. And that's why the Bible uses the word mystery because as you take each stage of serving God, you find one more fact out that you now can use to solve the rest of this mystery. And that's why I encourage you, if you know a little bit about Jesus, don't give up early because there's a lot to learn about Jesus. Please don't be the person that tries to think you know everything about something you've never spent time around. You've got to spend time around it to learn it. I would never dare go up to a NASA employee saying, you know that rocket ain't going to work, right? I would never walk up to someone who, who is a brain surgeon and be like, now you know, you know what's wrong with this dude's brain, right? You can't act like you know everything about a topic until you've spent time researching it. And so I encourage you, don't quit, don't give up because you've been hurt or confused. Confusion's not of God. Please don't give, give up on your walk with God. Don't give up on Christians or preachers just because you've been confused before. Remember, it's a mystery. And so you have to take some time to solve it. Let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into tonight's part two. Ephesians chapter 3 gives this answer to why the mystery and how the mystery should be given to all of us as the saints of God. For this cause, three and one, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Everybody, I want you to say this out loud wherever you are, the mystery is solvable. Paul figured out the mystery. If Paul figured out the mystery and Paul is my mentor through the word of God, then isn't there hope for you and me? There's hope for us tonight. If Paul can figure it out, if Paul can have the revelation, that means every one of us can have the revelation. But it takes time. It takes passion. 
And so Paul said, I know the mystery. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look at this great transfer of the solving mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. How do you get the revelation of the mystery? You've got to go to the men of God and the Spirit of God. The men of God and the Spirit of God. Not the men who look like they're men of God. That's probably where people get confused right there. You see, everybody thinks that everybody that calls himself an apostle is an apostle. But, but actually, there are real apostles and there's fake apostles. There are real prophets and fake prophets, okay? So make sure you understand that. But those six of you that are in the building right now, if you will hold down the buttons on the wall, the air will kick on for us, and you won't have to keep fanning right now. Now, those of you that are at home right now, you don't have to touch anything. Your air is already set, so don't worry about it, okay? This is what we have to do because we only run the air for like two hours a week now at our church. But hold them down until the light comes on, and that'll be a great blessing, and that will solve the mystery of why it's hot in this room right now. So you have to have the men of God and the Spirit of God to solve the mystery. That the Gentiles, verse 6, we're almost done, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, that it should be handed down to us so that the mystery, the solving mystery, should be handed down to us from the Spirit and from the prophets and from the apostles. I have good news for you tonight. You can solve the mystery by the help of good men of God and the Spirit. You need to get the Holy Ghost, and you need to find a real apostle and a real prophet to follow because there are fake ones. And you can solve the mystery. You can do it. And that's what we're here to do tonight, to help you solve the mystery. You can be a fellow heir. You can have this given to you of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So tonight we continue to solve the mystery of Christianity, the mystery of Christians, the mystery of the church. Because a lot of our friends and family, a lot of people we know are so confused and they shouldn't be. That's not of God. It just hasn't added up for enough people. You know, I talk to people about Jesus and we're out there all trying to, to reach our family and friends and it just does not add up to people. They just don't see it. A lot of people just don't see it. And it's our job to be salt and light to help them see this is worth living, that Jesus is worth worshiping. But we have too many Christians that see Christianity like scattered puzzle pieces on grandma's table. They know it's kind of there, but they don't make sense of it all. And so tonight we want to help put those pieces together the right way. I am not here to defend the failures, to defend the failures of fake preachers and fake Christians. I am not insecure to where I feel like I have to defend people who lift their hands in church and shout and say the name of Jesus, that live a lifestyle not pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not here tonight to say anything, but I'm sorry for what was done to you and that you're probably right in a lot of ways. Now, it could be that you're wrong, and I believe the Holy Ghost and the Word of God will help you in some areas. But let's be honest, we all can agree, we've all met somebody that hurt us, that looked like and acted like some form of Christian or preacher. And so we know it happens, we know it's out there, and we also know they can give us all a bad name. But I'm pretty sure if you find a hair in your spaghetti at Olive Garden, I'm pretty sure you're not going to just stop eating spaghetti forever. You might just not get it at Olive Garden. I don't know why you would not want me to be your pastor because you had a bad pastor. I don't know why you would not want this to be your church because you know churches that aren't good churches. I, I can't speak for those churches. I can speak for us. I can speak for what we believe and what we want to do here at Austin First Church, but I just want to start by telling you, I know you've been hurt, I know you've seen failures, and I'm not going to defend people who have done wrong because they're wrong, and a righteous judge, Jesus, will say they're wrong, and I must echo his words. So that's not my goal tonight. I can't speak for others and why they did what they did to you because no man is perfect, but revelation is progressive. Let me explain how revelation is progressive. I've learned a lot from my elders. I've learned a lot of good things that I should never stop. 
There's some things that we've learned over the years of being Christians and being apostolic and being Pentecostal that we should never change because we've learned a lot of good things from our elders. But remember, revelation does not go backwards. Revelation goes forwards. So that means I should be adding on top of what I've already received, a better revelation. Not, not to spit in the face of the past, but to say, thank you, I'll build on the foundation of my past and I will keep it, but I will add to that past more revelation some people say young man you can't preach a more revelation because it's spitting in the face of past revelation that's not how this works the more you spend time with someone the more you learn about them it would be hypocritical or false to say that I've learned everything about Jesus in my lifetime you'll never learn more than me what if you hand down what you've learned about Jesus and then I keep I start where you stopped and I go further than you that means every generation should learn more and should get better. That means the church should be better today than ever before. That's what it should be. And that's why I've come to tell you, maybe give church a chance again. Because maybe you got in church when they were still trying to figure out church. Maybe you got in church when that man that hurt you was still trying to figure out how to be a preacher. Maybe you got in church when that man didn't have the revelation he needed. And maybe he didn't solve the mystery for himself. So I just want to encourage you tonight that we take the old, good, rich history and we never throw anything away that's right, biblical, and good. But we continue to go forward. So if I say something in this that makes you go, oh man, that, that, that old way, there's so many good things. But we have to go forward with our revelation. We have to continue to push forward. So tonight, I want to help people who are confused. And my topic tonight is I'm ready for the wolf. Everybody say, I'm ready for the wolf. See, a lot of people aren't ready for the wolf. They're not ready for the wolf. We have trained a generation to be ready for the atheist, to be ready for going to work around a bunch of people who don't live for Jesus. We, we warned our kids all their life to be careful, to be careful of monsters in the world. But we never told them about the wolf in church. Never told them. So tonight we're going to figure out what Jesus taught about the wolf. The wolf that goes to church. The wolf that we're supposed to be prepared for. But a lot of people weren't prepared for. And there's a lot of people out there right now that you have been damaged by the wolf in church. And you're wondering, can I go back to church? You're wondering, can I go back and look for the shepherd? Because of what happened with the wolf. But I'm going to help you tonight to understand that we've all been bitten by the wolf. Everybody has. I haven't met anybody who has not been offended or hurt by a so-called Christian. Everybody's seen the bad side of someone that goes to church. So that's our goal tonight to help you with. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 and 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They look like Christians. They look like they follow Jesus, but they have a motive. They really are wolves, and they bite. They bite. You will know the wolves hidden among you by their fruits, verse 16. You will learn who among you wants to take you out. By their fruit. Now, now, why in the world would Jesus want me to know who the wolf is if I wasn't supposed to do something about it? See, we're supposed to know the, the fruit of the wolf that's hiding, hiding among us so that we're not bitten by the wolf. That is not the whole point of this story, is that we're supposed to be prepared for the wolf so that we're not consumed by the wolf. So I want us to look tonight at the fruit of the wolf and, and notice tonight that we will know them by their fruits and even ask the question do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs of thistles are you not surprised that when someone acts like a wolf they probably are a wolf underneath that sheep's clothing so so first thing it's possible to look like a sheep and be a wolf 
I need that to be the first most important topic I make tonight because we have let, we have defended these wolves long enough. I know they look like they're right. I know they look like they're a great pastor. I know on the surface you thought you could trust them, but the truth is they exist. They're real. They're in church. They still exist today. They're a part of the flock and they will never leave. You know why? Because they hide. So how do we know who the wolf is? We have to look at their fruit. You've got to look at their fruit. You've got to look at my fruit. You have to. This is why we have to have fruit in our lives. That means a manifestation of our goodness, a manifestation of our holiness. If it's not manifesting, then I don't have the fruit. It needs to come out of me and be visible. It should not be inside of me. It should not be hidden. What should be coming out is that I am real, that I, you can trust me. Trust should be something you can touch and something you can see, something you can smell on somebody. It should be something that just comes from the inside out. The church have been saying for far too long, watch out for the sheep in wolves' clothing. See, some of y'all are like, what? That's a mystery. Watch out for sheep in wolves' clothing. God forbid we see a good person that looks like a bad person. Oh, get away. Get away right now. We have trained our kids. If someone looks bad on the outside, that probably means they're not good on the inside. We have trained our churches that if somebody walks in with 45 tattoos to sit far away from them because they probably have no hope. They probably won't love Jesus. They probably will never make anything of their walk with God. We have trained a generation to be careful of people who look like they're wrong. But deep inside, we all know we were that person. We were that person that had good intentions. We just didn't know the way. We just didn't know what to do. We didn't dress right, act right on the outside, but we had a heart for God, and we didn't even realize something was missing. I've come to tell you, be careful, because Jesus sat down beside people like that. Jesus confused his whole generation because they said, why are you sitting with people who look like that? Jesus said, I sense something inside them. They may look like a wolf on the outside, but I can feel a sheep on the inside. You might say and write them off, they're nothing, but the Spirit of God sees beyond the wolf and sees the real sheep. It's up to you and I to see beyond the fake bites because there's a lot of people that are hurting out there that look like wolves, but really they're sheep. We write off people who look like wolves. And we draw close to people who look like sheep. And we don't know the difference. I've come to tell you tonight that you might look like a wolf. You might act like you're the toughest person in your family. But the truth is, right now, secretly in your home, you're starving for God right now. There's a sheep inside of you that wants a shepherd. And you've let people tell you you're a wolf on the inside because you look like one on the outside. But the truth is, you and I both know it. You're hungry for more. You're tired of being your own boss. You're tired of trying to run your own life. You want to be led. You want to have somebody powerful around you. You want to be protected for once. You want to make sure you've got food to eat for once. I know I'm talking to sheep right now that the world has called you nothing and Jesus is searching for you right now. So we've been saying things like this. Watch out for the sheep in wolves' clothing. Watch out. Watch out for those new, brand new saints who come to church who don't look like they're fitting in very good. Watch out for that. You make sure they get all the outside right so that we can trust them. Oh, how's that working out for us? How's it working out for us that you get the outside right so that we can trust you? Yeah, that's what we do. I'm so glad that Jesus said, but watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. This is what Jesus said to watch out for. Jesus said, I'm warning you of people who they look like they're like me, but they're like the devil. That's who you should be afraid of. Let me tell you some things tonight about, about fruit. A title is not fruit. But, but, but pastor, it was one of the board members that hurt me. Board member is not fruit. That's a title. Oh, oh, you thought because they were board members, they knew better. No, that's not true. 
They're still human, and they might look like a sheep on the outside, but that doesn't mean they're not a wolf on the inside. So you let someone's title deceive you because you got close to somebody and you trusted them because they had a title. But I've come to help you tonight. When you get back in church, let me tell you right now, a title is not fruit. That's the first thing you got to know. What you wear is not fruit. It's not fruit. The Bible doesn't say it's fruit. Okay? How you act at church is not fruit. Run around the aisles, shout all you want to. That's not fruit. But, but I thought I could trust them. They lift their voice in church. <laughs> no, no. No, they also lift their voice at their husbands and lift their voice at, at, at their friends at work. Uh, they lift their voice a lot. That does not mean they have fruit. That does not mean they're to be trusted. How long you've been in church is not fruit. Oh, I thought they'd been in church a long time. I could trust them. No, the Bible didn't say that how long you've been going to church is fruit. Please, I'm helping tonight unveil the mystery of why we get bitten. Because we think these things are fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you really have the fruit of the Spirit, this will come out of you. It doesn't matter if you look like a sheep if you don't have these things coming out of you. And whoever you think you can trust, if they don't have these things coming out of them, that's not a sheep. That's not a sheep. I know they got the hair right and they got all their clothes right. But if that's not coming out of them, do not trust that person. Because the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. The things they can't help but produce. They try to cover it up, but it comes out. You've got to watch them. It takes time to figure out the fruit, but this is how we'll know. Jesus never said, watch out for wolves who look like wolves. He never said that. Why not say that? That makes sense, right? If I was going to tell my kids be careful, I would say be careful of the wolf with the big teeth and the big claws. But you know why Jesus never had to teach be careful of the wolves who look like wolves? Because wolves are already obviously scary. So, so when a wolf shows up, it's a sign to a sheep, I'm going to kill you if I get close. So a wolf is already manifesting intentions to hurt you. This is why they're less dangerous. Because when you see a wolf coming, it's obvious you should run. Or you should call on the name of Jesus. Or you should get away. If, if we don't have problems with wolves, because wolves, we know to be careful of them. If somebody at your work comes up and says, I hate your guts, you're a Christian, and I'm out to get you, you know to be careful. Those aren't the people that ran you out of church, though. Oh, those aren't the people that hurt you, were they? You know, really, it wasn't the wolves who looked like wolves that hurt you, was it? In fact, I've met very few people who said, a wolf that looked like a wolf messed me up. Most people have told me, Pastor, what really got me is that I didn't know they were a wolf. I got close. I thought I could trust them. I put my soul in their hands, and I found out they're really a wolf. This is what really has caused people to say, I'm not in this anymore. I don't want to go to that anymore. I've been hurt by a wolf Jesus said, watch out for false prophets and religious people, not atheists and sinners. We tell people, be careful out there in that world. Woo, it's tough. Very few people have left the church because of the world. Most of them will credit leaving God and the church because of the church. Now, I don't know who you talk to. I always know the world's calling all of us out to tempt us. I get that. I get that. But most people have not credited cigarettes and alcohol or television 
to the reason why they got a church. Most people will tell you this. When you get down to it, most people will say this. I just don't understand the hypocrisy in the church. I had a youth pastor. I had a pastor. I had the prayer elder. I don't understand how they could be this one way. I had a mom and dad who would shout across the church and cuss each other out at night. I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm confused. This God can't be real. How could everybody, how could everybody be loving Jesus and acting this way at home? I'm done with God because God must not be real if there's this many wolves hiding among the flock. I want you to know tonight you're not alone. But Jesus said, Jesus said, watch out for people who look religious. Watch out for false prophets. Watch out for the spiritual people that are not spiritual. Those are the people that will hurt us more than anyone and make us want to leave the church more than anything. Let's be honest, y'all. I know carnal people who still come to church. I know people who love the world and they love the things of the world, but they're still here every Sunday or online every Sunday. I know people who are tempted to be in sin, but that does not push them away from the church. God forbid we take the only thing they still love, the only thing that's keeping them hooked. God forbid that we add on top of the temptation a wolf. God forbid we mix it in. It's already hard enough for some people with temptation and iPhones and all the things they have to say no to every day. It's already tough enough on people to add a wolf in the church trying to kill them. The church should be the safest place in the world. The church should be the place you run to to get the noise turned out. It should be a safe place. Now here at Austin First Church, we have made our mind up that we are going to have a unified church and we're going to make sure we treat each other good. We've made our mind up on that. What hill will you die on, Pastor Green? I will die on the hill of unity. We will not allow that spirit in this church. You want to know what we need to do as pastors in this hour? We need to say we're sorry. We need to fix the people that are problem people in our churches. And we need to help people come back. Because we've got to tell the people that the sheep are worth it. The sheep are worth it. The backslidden people out there who have been damaged are worth it. Whatever it takes. I don't care how much that wolf pays in the offering plate. It's our job to protect the sheep. Every pastor, it is your job to make sure the sheep are safe. No matter how much tithes comes in from that wolf, it is your job because you and I both know, you know the wolves in your church. And we've got friends and family that are hurting right now because you took a check over making sure that the people in our church are treated right. And that is not the will of God for the pastors. We're the under-shepherds. We're the mini-shepherds. We're supposed to act like Jesus on a small scale and protect the flock. And I want you to know at Austin First Church, it is our massive, massive desire to make our church a safe place. A safe place. Enough of all that. We have to protect the sheep. For years, Christian leaders have warned non-Christians but I found that those inside the church have caused more Christian casualties than those outside the church. A Christian is supposed to be a symbol of trust and approachability, and herein lies the problem. Oh, you're a Christian? I can get close to you. That's what you would think anyway, right? This is the issue. You see, when you find out someone is a sheep, you think you can just hang out with them, and it's fine, and open your heart up, and trust them. And then you find out that it was, a, it was a trap. It was a trap. It was, just, it was just a front. It was just a play, a drama to get you close so that they could take you out like they've taken others out. Our guards are down when we get around Christian folks. This is, this is something we have to be careful of. We think we can get so close, but then out of nowhere they bite us. And we were shocked and we're stunned and we think, we think Jesus did that. One of Jesus' children. Is Jesus like this? He, I don't know Jesus very well. All I know is you. I'm still learning who Jesus is. And we have hurt so many innocent people 
because we let innocent new people get around wolves that look like they deserve the right to run everybody off. They devoured people. And I think the beef most people have with church is why didn't the pastor say something? Why did it happen on his watch? Maybe he didn't know. Let's give the man credit. But the truth is, I think people want to hear it. Why aren't you defending us? Why aren't you getting involved? Why aren't you trying to make sure that the truth comes out and you're not choosing your buddies or your friends? I think people want to, want to not think that the people who've been in church the longest can do what they want on sinners and new people. Jesus said, anybody who offends this little child, anybody, this innocent child, it'd be better for a millstone be tied around his neck and he drowned. Jesus is very serious about protecting innocent things. And there's nothing more innocent than someone brand new who's coming to God. Nothing more innocent than someone who knows nothing, who's been ravaged by life, and they come into the fold, the flock, and we're going to let a wolf hiding among us destroy? You've got to ask yourself this. Uh, if everyone around someone is dying, then that person's probably a wolf. Well, all my friends are dying and spiritually. When, when you see people in church a long time, and everybody around their circle is not doing good spiritually, they might be devouring some people. The sign of our fruit should be that my closest friends are better when they're with me. They love God more, love their pastor more, and they're anointed more. They know the word of God more. This is how you know you have a real sheep around you. But whenever you're around someone and you just feel like quitting, you just feel like giving up, you just feel like you, love, you, you can't win. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you've got the spirit of a wolf close by you, and I want to help you tonight uh, because they can look like a Christian and not be one, and you need to know because when you come back to God, I need you to live. I need you to make it and survive. You need these tips tonight to help prepare you because it hurts when you get bit. I know. I've been bit before, too. You know, I can prepare for something I know is about to happen, but I can't prepare for something I don't know. Yeah. And this is the problem with the, the church hurt, is it hits us from nowhere, and it stuns us. And all we know to do is not trust anyone ever again. Well, they're a Christian too. Well, they're a pastor just like the last one. So I'm done with all of y'all. And that's what happens. This is why a new generation of Christians are always on guard. This is why the, this generation of Christians is so sensitive. This is why this generation of Christians can't get up and preach certain topics in the Bible because you've been abused by authority. This is why now, if you're going to be a successful pastor, you have to, you have to pander and cater to hurting people by never giving them the truth because they've all been hurt by somebody. This is why now the most popular preaching is easy preaching, easy teaching. Everyone loves everybody. No one ever does anything wrong because people are coming in so hurt, so broke that we can't even give them the gospel because they've had somebody abuse them. We just don't connect very good anymore. We keep one eye on God and another on our brothers and sisters now. You're not going to hurt me like the last one did, did you? It distracts us, it hurts us. It's gotten so bad that people now automatically assume that you're out to get them. Yeah. I have had people that don't even know me think I was trying to hurt them. Yeah. You don't even know me. You don't even give me a chance. But the reason why you're saying that and acting that way is because you've been hurt by someone like me. And you have not been healed from it. Yeah. And you don't know how to tell which one's out to get you. So tonight I've come to tell you, I want you to be ready for the wolf. Because they exist. But first you have to know which one is the wolf. Because you can't keep treating everyone like they are the wolf. Remember in the story, there are real sheep and real fakes. 
There are actually people who live this for sure, and there are actually people who don't. I want to tell you tonight, if you think everyone is a hypocrite, no. Jesus said there are real sheep and there are fake sheep. I want you to know tonight there is a church full of people who are legit, who really care, who really pray, who really do what they say they're going to do. I want you to know tonight, for every, every person you know that bites hard, there's somebody out there that will pick you up and put bandages on your bikes. I want you to know tonight uh, there are real Christians, real pastors, uh, real people that know God. And you need to believe that tonight. You can't start telling me that you're not going to believe in God because of a bad story and not let me tell you a good one. Because for every bad story you have, I have a good one. I have people in my life who have done good to me. I've got people who have picked me up and not hurt me. I've got people in my life who have loved me through my flaws and through my issues. There are real Christians in the world. There are real sheep that follow Jesus. I know you've met some bad ones, but please don't call us all bad because of the bad ones. The judgment has to stop. It has to. I don't care who you are or how long you've been in church, or what your title is. We have to stop playing God. I will get into this more and more later, but I am so, I am so, I want to be so careful of making sure the difference between my voice and God's voice. There are scriptures in the Bible where Paul said, now let me clarify, this is not God's commandment. This is mine. Why is that in the New Testament? Why did Paul put it in the New Testament to clarify? This is the Word of God, and the Word of God has this statement. Paul said, there's a difference between my advice and God's advice. We have got to stop playing God. You thought your pastor was God. He's not God. He's a mortal man. He can make mistakes. There are some things that God wants me to tell you, and there are some things that I want to tell you. And you've got to stop putting us all in the same bucket. Because God is never going to be like me. Never. God never makes mistakes. God never has an attitude. God never says a word wrong. It never slips out wrong with God. It can with a man. But God is nothing like the man of God. God is God all by himself. There's no one like him. And please stop thinking that your heavenly father is like the abusive leader in your past. Because they are not the same. I know that you want and everybody wants to think that a pastor is the voice of God, but not always. Not when he's not in the Word of God. And not when he has no fruit. He is not the man of God. He is not the voice of God. He's just a man who's making mistakes. You have got to separate God from the man of God. Because just because I'm called a man of God doesn't mean I'm always like God. Please do not be hurt again by someone behind a pulpit that you think can never make a mistake. It's possible. I'm the pastor. And even I, even I will wait for evidence before making a judgment call on somebody. I'm the pastor and even I will not just start to play God and say, now you're wrong, you're right, and let's go home, let's have some dinner. I will take it slow. I will look for evidence to find out what's right and what's wrong. Because souls are in the balance. We don't play God. We let God be God. And we give God time to work. But whenever we are rushing decisions emotionally, we play God. We act like we're God. Can I protect you right now from people who told you where to, how to dress every day and what job to get and said you had to have their permission to change tires on their car? That's not God. That's the man. And you've let that man become God for you, and it's not the will of God. There is no one that takes the place of Jesus Christ in your life. You have to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't ever look to a man to be your God. When I, get, when I can't get evidence as a pastor, I have to look for patterns. And when I can't get patterns over a long length of time to get the right judgment call, I have to ask God, help reveal it or speak to me because God, I want to make sure we're righteous judges. This is what we have to do as pastors. 
It's what every pastor should do, every man of God should do. So I'm telling you tonight, stop fighting your battles. If you believe that God has your back as a sheep, then why are you so aggressive towards others? I truly believe if you're right with God, no man of God, no church board member, no Sunday school teacher could ever mess you up. I believe that someone who prays and fasts and is in the Word of God is covered by God. And there is nobody in the church that can destroy you. All you've got to do tonight is bend your knee back down to Jesus and make Him the master. Make Him the master of your life. And I've come to tell you, no matter who comes in your life they cannot destroy you they cannot kill you because he is your shepherd he will protect you that's when you know that that God uses these abusive leaders and people in church for our good not to destroy us but to get stuff out of us that doesn't belong so stop fighting and trust God again you know what we need more in the church right now we need more apologies If you've ever hurt somebody that's backslid, you should call them up as soon as the service is over. Have you thought about the repercussions of your actions as a so-called Christian? It is up to every one of us to think who might be out of church because of us. If people are telling me all over the place it's because of a person, then how come there's not people calling people saying, I could have done this back when I was immature? And I'm sorry. But tonight I have to say like a manager does for a, a waiter, I am sorry for the service you have received at this restaurant. This is not who we are. And I, I, I wish that person would call you. I wish that person would say they're sorry to you, but they may never do that. So I will do it as a pastor and as a man of God. I will do it. And I will say, I am sorry that you were hurt, that you were bitten by someone. I, I'm sorry. I, I, it wasn't right. It shouldn't have never happened. We are sorry. This is not who we are. We are better than that. It was wrong what happened to you. And that spirit should never be in our churches and definitely will not be in this church. We need healing. More than ever, we need healing from things that happened in the past. We need to air it out, bring it to the surface, and start talking about it again. Mom, Dad, the reason why I don't go to church is because of A, B, C, D. You know, here's the reason why we don't confess about our church hurt, because we're scared that the person will side with the church. Man, that would be tough, wouldn't it? You finally confess about what happened to you 20 years ago. And you're worried the person you confessed to would be more a company man than for the hurting person. So you don't feel like you can say anything. I can't tell that pastor what happened to me by a pastor. He's a pastor. That's what we do. Well, I can't tell Pastor Green what happened to me by a pastor. Because see, all pastors protect each other. Listen, listen, please hear me. We're not the CEOs. We're not lawyers. We're not the current generation and culture that, that, that defends each other. We're not all in bed together. That's not how it works. I've come to tell you tonight, not all of us are like the people that hurt you. And you can confess it and say it. And you can tell us you've been hurt. I will not discount your story. I will not sit back and go, oh, no, get out of here. It's happened to too many of my friends for me not to believe you. Three keys, and I'll close. Three keys to handle deceitful wolves' bites. Number one, we have to be prepared. The Bible says it's impossible that no offenses should come. Impossible. It's impossible. You will be offended, and I will too. You know what? You've got to brace yourself because it's going to happen. When you get back in church, when you start getting yourself a good pastor one day, I want to tell you right now, be prepared because you're going to get hurt again. I have. I've forgiven and I've moved on and got hurt again. And then moved on and got hurt again. You know, you get better at it, at taking the pain. That's why you have to have long suffering. You get better at it. You start to see that it's not the person, it's the spirit. You start to see that, you know what, they can't touch me unless God lets them. It gets easier over time. But you got to be prepared. When we get close to people, we need to understand that getting hurt is part of the territory. It's easier when you know and you're prepared for it with daily devotion and prayer. That's why when you get up in the morning, you pray like you're about to get hurt. 
You put your prayer on like your guard, your shield, all your armor, your armor. You got to have all that stuff on. Get your shield of faith. You get up in the morning and you pray because you know that offenses shall come. Don't be shocked again when someone who looks like a sheep tries to take a bite out of you. They will come. Doesn't matter who you are. Before you get married, you say something like this. Uh, for rich or poor, hallelujah, healthy or sick, so beautiful the piano's playing. Good times and bad, till death do us part. It's the warning label on marriage. That's right. Only death sets you free from marriage. So don't come back a few weeks later after you said that in church or online and say, you know, Pastor, I don't like them when they're sick. You knew what you were getting into, didn't you? I'm going to tell you, this is what you're getting into when you get in church. You get around people that have bad days. You get around people that they're not living for God. This is a part of being in the commitment with the body of Christ. So be prepared. Number two, confession. Everybody say confession. Confess your trespasses, James said, 5 and 16. One to another and pray one for another that you may be healed because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confession kills gossip. The Lord gave this revelation to me, and I want to help you right now. Those of you who have been victims of gossip in church, people talking about you and your faults, I've got good news for you. You can't talk about my faults when I already talked about them for myself. How can you spread something on me that's already public? You know why we have gossip in church? Because we don't confess our faults. We hide them. We Wait a second, we're supposed to love each other and be unified, but we hide everything from each other. Well, how does that build trust? You know the reason why we hide in church? Because we have never trusted people, because we don't know who the sheep are and the wolves are, so we walk around acting like it's okay. We go to church, we act like it's okay. No, I'm good, I'm good. I don't want anybody to know what's wrong with me, because they might gossip. But I'm going to tell you the answer and the cure for gossip in the church is confession. When you start telling people, even your haters, even the devil, whoever's out to get you, you tell them, I'm telling you right now, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got mistakes in my past. I know I've done some things wrong. But by the help of Jesus, I'm going to get better. With the help of my brothers and sisters, I'm going to overcome. Oh, I'm an overcomer in Jesus. I made mistakes last night, but I can make it today if you will confess. Let me tell you what confession does. Confession separates the people out to kill you from the people that are there to restore you. For the Bible says uh, that you that are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Uh, you want to find out who the real brothers are? Then confess. Where are the real Christians at? They're waiting on you to confess uh, because real Christians are looking for somebody to put back together. Well, if I, if I say that out loud, there's going to be gossipers, but there'll also be some lovers. There'll also be some people that love you. Also be some rescuers. Also be some good Samaritans. But if I tell them what I did, someone will hate me, but someone else will love you. There'll be somebody there to pick you up. The church has sheep. The church has sheep. Confession kills gossip. Confession breeds confession. You ever try to confess something and they confess too and you both ended up crying your faces off? It works a lot in marriage. Well, I didn't take the trash out. Oh yeah, well, I didn't cook dinner. <laughs> but you know when you're real tough, everybody's tough. But when one person opens up, it's so beautiful to see how you're in a room, a small room, it's kind of tense and one person says, they just break down and says, oh, I, didn't, I didn't do what I thought I was I didn't do it right. Everybody else kind of starts to think about themselves. Yeah. I, I didn't do it right either. Confession is contagious. Yeah. 
If you want to create a culture of forgiveness and restoration in a church, you've got to get somebody to, to create a spark in the atmosphere and stand up and go, I am not scared to say I am sinner saved by grace. I'm not afraid to admit I make mistakes. I'm not afraid to admit there's something wrong with me and I need your prayers. I need your help. I need you to support me. If you would confess, you draw out the rescuers. Confession. You know, it's hard, to be, it's hard to be hard on somebody soft. It's hard to kick a man when he's down. If you want someone to fall and come to you at your feet and help you, confess. Last one is restoration. Restoration. Matthew 18 and 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And him alone. That's what the Bible says. Go find it and work it out together. I have heard some pastors teach this theology or doctrine of never letting anybody work anything out in church because it can make it worse. You're keeping your church weak when you do that. You're never training your people how to be real Christians. A real Christian has to go work it out first alone. Now, it might not work. It might not work. That's why the Bible has other steps to take. But the first step, whenever there's something wrong between you and a brother, is to approach them and talk about it as Christians. Assuming you're both Christians. Because if one of you's not, it's not going to work out very well. Assuming you're both brothers, that's the key. Now, some people you think is a brother, and you find out when you try to confront them, they're not. So if it's a brother, if it's a sister, approach them. Talk to them and tell them about the trespass. Matthew 5, 23 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then you can come off of your gift to me. God does not want your dirty gift with hands that have been offending people. And that's why the Bible is so serious about this. It says, agree with your adversary quickly. I don't know why you would delay and let it fester. When you know something's wrong, text right now. Call right now. Meet right now. Do not let this turn into more than what it is. Because most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. But we don't deal with it. You think you can go back to worship God and not deal with your brother. Your worship's done. Your worship's done. Stop trying to worship God until you go make things right with your brother. The Bible says you leave that gift right there and you can pick it up later. After you've done got things right with your brother, I'll receive your gift. You, you're not even getting through to God. This is serious stuff tonight. This is what people need to hear that the church is working on and we're doing to make sure they're safe when they come back. Matthew 18 and 16 and 17, then we'll, we'll be done here. If he will not hear... If you're not here that, that, that time you met together to work out one-on-one, -on -one, this, this is what the teaching is. If you will not hear, then take one or two more with you and have yourself a little, little group of people and try to have a, an intercessor. Someone maybe that's a neutral party to help you figure out what's wrong. Keep it small. That's the theme. Keep it small. It's no big deal. Work it out. If that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, then tell it to the church. That means bring in, bring in the big guns. Go to the church with it. Pastor, I've got a problem. I tried talking to them. I had a small group talk. No one can figure it out. We got to have your help. This is the levels of reconciliation between us. But it starts with one on one. I don't know what happened the day you got hurt. I don't know if someone come to you or you went to them. But I know that when you come back to God, this is how we fix our problems. This is what we do. So the last thing here, and probably the most important, is it says go to the church if you can't work it out. And that means you have to eventually probably put your faith in a pastor. Now, this is kind of scary because uh, who will the pastor side with? Oh, I hope he picks me. I hope I'm his favorite. I hope I've been going there long enough. I hope I've played basketball enough with the pastor. I'm sorry, ladies, if you hang out with the pastor's wife, I'm not going to help you much. But man, whoever hangs out with the pastor the most gets, gets to have the most friendship with him. So surely the pastor will pick his buddies. I can't go to Pastor Green because I'm not real close to him. This is not how I have been called to operate as a pastor. I have not been called to judge 
according to things of the earth. I have not been called to judge according to the people I'm around the most. I have been called and I've been commissioned by the Holy Ghost living inside of me to pick what's right, to, to pick inside with what's right. Uh, that is the key in all of this. Uh, is at some point, uh, it's got to get to the top, uh, the big top, uh, and you have got to make sure that we side with righteousness. Not with the closest friends, not the people that donate the most, not the people with the biggest positions. It's not the ones that get all the ear to the pastor. That's not the will of God. The will of God is that we are to side with what's right. Boy, that would be nice if you could relive the moment you got hurt. And there was a pastor that picked the righteous side. You'd feel so safe, wouldn't you? I want you to know that I am not perfect, but I have an agenda. And my agenda, our agenda at this church, because people would have left by now if they don't like this agenda, our agenda is to make sure that righteousness is first. Not prejudice, not choosing sides that will make us greater on the earth, but to please God. That is our goal. And this at the center of it, this is the key to protecting sheep from the wolves in the, in the flock. You see, everything rises and falls on leadership. And the majority of problems in the church have been either caused by or permitted by weak pastoral leadership. So this kind of preaching is my idea. No one made me preach this. No one told me to. I'm the first to feel it in my gut. I didn't find this online. I didn't copy somebody else's message. Nobody told me on a forum to go do this at my church. This is my heart. This is my idea. I'm sure it's done somewhere else. But at our church, we host, we host a service called So Sorry Sunday. And we literally will just say, we're sorry. Because there's too many people, my loved ones, your loved ones, that have been hurt by an image of God that is nothing like God. And I have hope tonight I've come to help you to be prepared and ready for the bite of the wolf. I want you to make it and succeed. And I'm hoping that right now there's people right now that are saying, you know what? I'm going to get back to where I was. Because the church is not the way it was. Chances are, whoever hurt you 20 years ago was gone. Chances are, that person didn't make it. Chances are, whoever was filthy and wrong and dirty, God already pulled them out or, or ruined their church. Would not let it grow. Chances are, right now is the best time to get back living for God. I want you to know there's hope for you. I want you to know there's people that love you. I want you to know that there's people in our church that have been hurt and they've got stories and they still come and they still trust their pastor and they still love God. It's possible. You can do it too. If they've done it, if your family and friends have done it and they shared this post, they're wanting you to know today. They want you to know that it's okay, that there's going to be wolves, but there's a plan. We can be careful. We can still make it even with wolves around us. And I hope tonight you understand that we're sorry, that this is reality. It's happened to all of us, and it's time for you to get back living for God because this is the best thing in all the world. Our shepherd is better than any wolf. Our shepherd is sweeter than any bad day. That's why David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be at the top chain of the enemy. I'd rather be just at the door serving in the smallest position because my God is worthy of anything, anything I can give to him. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know what they did to you, but I know they're not worthy of you being lost. They're not worthy of you not having the love of Jesus in your life. They're not worth it. Don't let somebody, some messed up wolf with personal pride problems keep you from God. Don't let them do it. Get yourself back into the real church with real Christians and watch out for the fake wolves and go to heaven with us. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray right now over every person watching. I pray their heart would have been, been stung tonight, been pricked tonight, uh, and they feel something saying, I've got to think about what this man of God said. I've got to consider the words. Perhaps that's you right now hearing me, and you're thinking, yes, I want to. Yes, deep inside, I've got the heart of a sheep, and I've let some things mess me up on the outside, but I know what I'm built for. I know who my God is. I know that there's more out 
there. I know that there's going to be some people that are going to hurt us, but I refuse to stay out of church because if somebody had a bad day and somebody had a bad issue in their life, God, I'm praying right now, and I hope that you are right now at home. I hope that you are. Can we pray right now for every person who's been damaged and hurt and confused? Can we pray in the name of Jesus all over the world right now? Jesus, there's too many of our loved ones, our friends who have been damaged and bitten by religious people. Oh, Jesus, you know what it's like to be crucified by religious people. But you said forgive them. And we must do the same tonight. We must forgive them. We must start again. We must get the revelation that the church is good, that God is good, that there's still good. There's still path. There's still a way to get back in. There's still a way for us to manage this thing and to say we're sorry as a church. We are sorry. You didn't deserve it. You were died on the cross. He died on the cross for you. Jesus gave his life for you. You didn't deserve the way you were treated. But we're sorry tonight. And we love you, and there's someone out there that will love you. Reach out to us, please, if you need help or encouragement. Please message us on Facebook. Find somebody, a part of our church, and we will help you the best that we can. If you're another denomination, a Baptist or anything, hey, across the board, Christianity has hurt you, I want you to know we understand. And that here at this church, we're going to do our best to be just, to be righteous, and to love you the way that Jesus wants you to be loved. We love you all, and God bless you. Stay safe. We hope to, with the weather being nice this weekend, finally to have a drive-up service. That's our goal. We look forward to that, and eventually we'll all be together. I hope things are starting to flatten out. I think they are with this coronavirus. We're looking forward to it. And so God bless you all. To the members of our church, stay safe. To every guest watching, we're here for you. Reach out to us if anything we can do. We've got baptisms lined up for uh, Sunday. Uh, so if you want to get baptized in Jesus' name, please come out Sunday. Uh, be, be following our Facebook page and information about the drive-up service, and we'll get you baptized Sunday. A great time to do it this Sunday. The weather's going to be awesome. God bless you all. We love you all. Be be safe out there, and we'll see you later.